Well, tonight, uh, I just want to speak a little bit about character. Uh, the role that good character, you know, being of the right stuff, the role that that plays, even just in long-term career success, is really well documented. It's, it's just a known thing. Uh, the stability and the trust, that stuff like integrity and honesty, what that provides is a, is a fantastic basis for sustaining life, for sustaining career, for, for building networks that are long-lasting, whether it's relationally or business-wise, etc. Professionally. Character plays a big part in that. Who you are on the inside plays a big part in that. Uh, I love studies, and here's one survey uh, from Hadassah Littman Ovadia, one of the leading researchers in positive psychology, and uh, she published an art- a study with her colleagues that compared strengths-based career counselling with traditional counselling. Traditional counselling, uh, in the parameters of what I read, was you know is more your skill sets. Yeah. Have you got the skills to do the job? And uh, and what they actually did, they they grabbed some unemployed job seekers and the subjects who received sessions of character strengths counselling. Uh, they gave them four sessions of that, and then they gave the, the, another group of people four sessions of traditional counselling, which focused on their skills. And researchers found that the career counselling that embraced character strengths was far more successful in helping people become employed, actually by 20%. So 80% of people that they helped with a character-based course got employment, 60%, so obviously it was somewhere where they could find employment, 60% of those who only focused on skills got employment. The character counts for a lot in life, not just in church, but just in life. Good character. Uh, It does something in your life. It creates something in your world. And, And I thought I'd ask the question tonight, which is always really, really embarrassing, but what about you? Let's not just talk about the concept, but what about us? Is anyone willing to admit that they've ascended to perfection? We'll allow spouses and close acquaintances to chip in if you put your hand in the air. Uh You know, I'm not sure anyone has. For those of us who are willing to admit it, our biggest problem is that we keep turning up wherever we go. And it's why running away is never the answer. It's, it's why the grass is never greener. It might look greener, but wherever you go, you will turn up soon after. And you will take you with you. And so the quicker we are happy with the person that we take with us, the better. The more that that person works with us and for our future and our destiny rather than against it, the better. The quicker we can, we can empower that inner person to fit with the call and purpose and divine destiny that's been put upon us, the better off that we are. And so tonight, I want to talk about being righteous, wise and humble. And humble too. And I'm just the man to talk about it. Just ask Pastor Sue. Actually, yeah, as I said, I grew my beard just to be wise. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 16. This is an interesting book, book of Ecclesiastes. Has anyone ever tried to journal through it? It's tough, isn't it? Uh, and, and when we went on our break, we just went on our month break, I really felt to journal through Ecclesiastes and, and really do it in depth. I'm still in there. I've been in there for over a month and I'm only at chapter 8, uh, doing it verse by verse. And uh, the interesting thing about Ecclesiastes, number one, uh, we need to understand its actual literary context. It, it is found in the books of poetry in the Bible. That should tell us something about it. It's not necessarily a book of laws or rules. Uh, it, it's not necessarily an inspired biography like, or, or, or a biography like some of the Gospels appear to be. It's poetry. The language, the expression is different. And what it speaks to, the whole theme of Ecclesiastes is the vanity of life, the vanity of human experience outside of God. That there is a limit to where the wisdom of man can carry you. There's a limit to where the understanding, the smarts, there's a limit to where all that can take us. And Solomon's writing about it, or, or the author of many, many modern scholars, you know, they, they say there's evidences of a later author. It really doesn't matter who wrote it, the truth doesn't change. Yeah. And it's, it's this expression of the human heart, the frustration of human existence if it's not given a greater and higher purpose. So uh, I want to read a verse because there's lots of exasperating statements in this book. Actually, there is some real, like, there's contradictions in this book. And I'm not talking with other places in the Bible. I mean, when you're reading it, sometimes it's like it says one thing and three lines later, it says almost the opposite and you're like... But actually, all of that expresses the frustration of the limit of human knowledge and understanding and perceiving our world. So when you understand the theme of the book, you, you, it gives you a bit of an insight into how to read it. And I love this passage that I journaled just earlier this week. It says, Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly righteous. Do not be overly wise. It's like, what? Isn't that what we're supposed to be? Come on, think about it. Don't just read stuff and go, oh, it's okay, I don't understand, it doesn't matter. Just put it in too hard basket. You know, whenever you struggle with Scripture, if you're honest and you will struggle with Scripture, whenever you wrestle with Scripture, God will take you down the rabbit hole into something so much deeper that is so transformational. And so that's what we need to do. So I, this caught my eye because I'm like, what? Aren't these the things we're supposed to be? Some of us are thinking, I'll never be either, man, so it's not really an issue. <laughs> Righteous, what does it mean? It means, and this is just straight out of the dictionary, not even a Bible definition, but it gives a good reflection that we can understand. Righteous, good, virtuous, upright, decent, ethical, principled, law-abiding, honest, innocent, faultless, honourable, angelic. Don't you love that? Just like my son Reuben. Angelic. And it's like, you read that, it's like, well, if that's what righteous, and he, what he's saying is, you know, be, be this, be honourable, be blah, 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 all this stuff, but not too much. It's like, too much of that will destroy you. Wow, what on earth 
is he saying? And then he says, he says the same of wisdom. Do not be overly wise. Well, wise, again, simple dif- dictionary definition, is intelligent, clever, knowledgeable, enlightened, astute, sensible, prudent, dis- discerning, perceptive, insightful, expedient, strategic. Wow! Hey, don't you want to be that? And he says, don't be too that. Don't be too that. Don't be too righteous. Don't be too wise. So I thought, well, why not look at what is overly righteous? I wonder what he could mean. So I just sort of did a little bit of thinking. Is that okay? And I want to share my thinking with you. I don't know. Maybe he's just saying, don't try too hard. Don't be a try hard when it comes to faith. When it comes to God, when it comes to your own standing before God, don't, don't be too try hard. Maybe don't get too religious because you get too religious. The next thing you'll be is too critical. Everything in the scripture shows us that. So it made me think of some things. What are some indicators? If you knew you were being overly righteous, here's some things that I've noticed over the years, I think, fit in the category of being overly righteous. Good Christians don't do this and they don't do that sort of you know making up rules about behavior is maybe starting to verge on overly righteous and it is so ridiculous because I can remember when I first met Jesus in 1986 the absolute central argument for young people in the body of Christ that was dividing them is we were arguing over whether Christians could listen to music with a beat in it and people were playing records backwards to hear satanic messages and all kinds of things you know and I thought we were safe once we had CDs it was like well it doesn't matter if there's a satanic message backwards because you can't get it out and now they're printing vinyl again I mean maybe vinyl is of the devil I don't know But it's like the moment you start saying, well, this is what righteousness is and this is what righteousness isn't. The moment you become an arbitrator, you become a fool. You become foolish. And, And I don't know how many young Christian people got wounded or whatever and hacked to death by the side of the road by religious zealots who were overly righteous in their own eyes. Hey, come on, it says, don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly righteous, lest you destroy yourself. Interesting, isn't it? Don't be overly righteous. Trying to be too righteous will only reveal your faults all the more. And I think some people just give up from disillusionment simply because of the awareness of their weaknesses has become greater than the awareness of what Jesus has done for them. Don't be overly righteous. Here's another indicator. Here's another thing I think reveals someone who's a little bit too righteous. God said, God told me. Can I just give you some pastoral advice? Run away from people who say God told me too much. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't speak. He speaks to us and he should. And, and we should all have a testimony of, I really think I heard from heaven. But, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean? The ones that are like really flippantly, God's always telling them something. 
God's told me to do this. Two months later, God's told me to do that. It's the opposite. It's like, hang on a sec, is God confused? Too righteous, too... This sense of I've got, I've got a monopoly on God. Here's some of the, th- the problems with, with saying God said too much. You've effectively locked out wisdom from any other source. You've locked counsel out. Now scripture says that safety is found in a multitude of counsellors. Getting good advice around you is a good thing. The moment you say God said, who's going to argue with you? Even if it's the dumb, who's ever seen someone do something really dumb that they thought God told them to do? Hey, come on, we've seen wars in our generation started that way. And the moment you say God said, it just, who can speak into that? Man, if you believe God said it, then I can't argue with it. It doesn't matter how dumb it is. So be careful of being overly righteous, of having a monopoly on God in that sense. Here's a third thing, criticism and judgment of others. And it's generally based on self-righteousness. That's what we're talking about. When I talk about overly righteousness, overly righteous, I think that's what I'm talking about. Being self-righteous, as in I'm performing and I deserve And I'm ahead of the pack. And people like that invariably end up in criticism and being judgmental of others, which destroys others and it will destroy you. It destroys the authentic thing that God is doing in your life. You'll lose credibility as a person. For goodness sake, don't be overly righteous. The fact is, Jesus made us righteous. And everything we try and add to that generally ends up in one of these categories. So there's probably another 10. I don't know. They were just three that came pretty simply to the top of my head. Jesus has made us righteous. This is what, I love this. This is the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The apostle Paul writes, and it's about Jesus, talking about Jesus. He, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So in other words, what was our brokenness was laid on Jesus and he is willing to exchange his wholeness for our brokenness when we place our faith and our trust in him. There's an exchange and the righteousness that we do have that is authentic, that is genuine that which is good in us, that which enables us to stand before God and lift our eyes to heaven, that is a gift from God that you can't add to. I reckon there'd be more than one parent who has been exasperated because they maybe baked a cake or they did something. They made something as good as they could make it and then one of the small children decided to help ice the cake or decided to help dig the garden or decided to help wash the car and the frustration of an amateur trying to help and yet when we try and help God with our goodness that's sort of what it looks like 
It looks like a cake that was, was iced nicely and then got a do-over by a three-year-old. That's kind of what it looks like. You can't improve on what Jesus has done. The fact is the righteousness he's given us, on your best day, you will never make it better. But the beauty of that is, is on your worst day, you will never make it worse. You will never polish it on your best day and you will never tarnish it on your worst. It's a gift that's been given. And so true righteousness, not the overly righteous, but true righteousness rests in finding yourself in him and relaxing into what he's done and believing what he says about you. And that's, that's righteousness in balance, if I could put it that way. Funny thing is, I guess for me, the older I get, the less spiritual I become about spiritual things. Or, or maybe... Maybe the more spiritual I've become because I realise everything is spiritual. I'm I'm no longer put on a church face or a spiritual face or I'm about to seek God face. I I just realise that this is all spiritual. We have to understand that, that you are not a body that God gave a spirit. You're a spirit that God gave a body which means at the core of your being, you're a spirit. It's the only thing that will last. This will end up back in grass, probably eaten by a cow. But my spirit is eternal. Your spirit is eternal. And so everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. You've taken a bath as a spiritual experience. Come on, who believes that? Especially on a cold, frosty morning. Who believes that? Come on. Hot water, install a ream, install a ream, install a ream. That can be a spiritual experience. I'm just joking, but the fact is, I get most of my good sermon thoughts in the shower or sitting on the loo. Sometimes it's the only time in the day you get to stop and think. And actually, we shouldn't be shocked by that because Paul says it this way. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Genesis 1, God created man. Genesis 2, out of the dust of the earth and breathed into it. And we are just dust. You know that song we do, Glimmer in the Dust? You know, I've heard many people say, I don't know what that song's about. That's what it's about. Read your Bible. That's what it's about. (laughs) It's about heavenly treasure and eternity somehow placed in the frailty of dust that God breathed in. And so I think that when it comes back to standing in the correct place in righteousness, not being overly righteous, but I actually have to accept, and, and this, is, this is my first point, we have to accept our dust. We have to accept, not surrender to it. Golly, you don't want to surrender to the man of earth. Remember, that's where Satan dwells, in the dust. We want to ascend, but the only pathway is through submission to Christ and realising in our own strength we just can't do it. God, I've got to trust you. I've got to rest in you. No matter how crazy this journey gets, I'm trusting you will get me where I need to be by the end of it. 
And so we've got to get to the point where we accept that we are dust. We're already spiritual, now let it work from the, out, from the inside out. It's about being yourself, it's about being authentic, genuine. But at the same time, realising things need to change. Come on, don't be overly righteous. Overly wise. Let's change pace. Are you okay? You doing okay? You're still letting the dust settle on that one, aren't you? Overly wise. Don't be overly wise. Well, that is crazy. I mean, wisdom is the thing. Wisdom is the thing. Psalm says that wisdom builds the house. And by knowledge, all its rooms are filled with every great treasure. Jesus says that a wise man will build his house on the rock. Just, just by obeying his words, he'll build his life with wisdom. And yet here, being overly wise is an issue. And I think it's because to be overly wise is simply pride and condescension. Wow. Proverbs 3 verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Uh, we all know someone who knows better. Put your hand up if you're sitting next to No, 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 I'm just joking. Don't do that. But someone who knows better. Someone who can't be told. We all know someone like that. It's actually the opposite of disciple. You know, Jesus is looking for disciples. He's told us to make disciples. And that word simply means student, learner. Well, it's the opposite of that. To be wise in your own eyes is the opposite of teachable. Man, no wonder. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, don't destroy yourself by being overly wise. Don't destroy yourself by being wise in your own eyes. Uh, During the 80s, and I'm really showing my age tonight, but I worked in a drug rehab in 1988, all year in King's Cross, Sydney, and it was the, it was the detox centre for that was connected to a, a, a rehab farm, a long-term live-in, get-yourself-straightened-out kind of thing, and we were working with everyone that was on the streets of King's Cross and pimps and pushers and prostitutes and just everyone who was in that whole street scene in, in central Sydney. And one of the saddest things was, one, one of the amazing things was how quickly when someone gets off the gear how quickly they come alive again, unless they've damaged their brain, which often happens too, sadly. But for most that were just on straight opiates, 48 hours and they were clean as a whistle and pumped up, revved up, ready to go. They just wanted to go for life. They felt so good. They would say, I have not felt this good in four years. I haven't felt like this. I can smell the air. I can taste this cup of tea. I can... My life is so different. And of course, we had a one-year live-in program that they had to commit to. And, and so often, I'd be called in for people I'd help get through the de- detox, got them into the program, but then they'd want to bust the program. They'd want out. And if I was sort of their caseworker, I would talk to them and I would plead with them. Man, don't do it. Don't do it. I know you think you can, but you can't. It's too, there's a reason this is a one-year program. It's the rest of your life. If you just invest one year, you'll get the rest of your life back, man. Don't bust. Don't bust the detox. Don't bust the program. You'll be sorry if you do. 
And the amount of times that people were like, I've got it all under control. I can do this. And then three weeks later, they would turn up at the front door with tears in their eyes after the first time they used again. And they'd be back on the merry-go-round. Man, do not be overly wise and therefore destroy your life. Do not be overly wise. Every year we do a relationships series towards the end of the year in the church. And every year, great young people take some of that advice, people like Josh and Becky Lush, and build their relationship in a God-honouring way in spite of it being difficult, in spite of it swimming against the flow, in spite of sometimes leaders telling them just to wait a little bit and they build their life in such a way that three years later or four years later we're happily dedicating their babies and they're celebrating the purchase of a home. And every year, great young people actually feel that they are wiser in their own eyes and decide to throw out God's principles and generally in a very short space of time and some of them have even gone on to be married but generally not in this church but have turned back up wanting us to fix the damage. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Or just young people that genuinely there could have been a future there, but I just can't wait. And then all of a sudden, there's never going to be a future between them. And that's sad. That saddens me when there is wisdom available. But, but if you're overly wise, if you're overly wise, you'll miss it. If you're overly wise, it'll, it'll just damage your own life. At the end of the day, it, it's frustrating to me, but I'm not the one being hurt by it. It's, it's not going to change my marriage or my future. I could only wish for more and for better for others. Isaiah 3, uh, chapter 5, verse 21 actually says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. So I wonder what he is saying. Like, it's like, they're all the don'ts. What is the bottom line of this passage? Don't be overly wise. Don't be overly righteous. Don't destroy yourself that way. Well, we know righteousness is a good thing. We know wisdom is a good thing. We're told to seek it. So maybe what he's actually talking about is humility. How do we hold those things? How do you balance being the right amount of righteous, being the right amount of wise? Maybe humility is the thing. To define humility, it is the quality of having a modest view of one's importance. Best definition I've ever seen. And 1 Peter 5.8, the Apostle Peter urges the church, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you or that he may lift you up in due time. It's like, oh, wait for it. The promise will come. 
Don't rush it. Don't try and create it. Don't try and make it happen. Don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly wise in your own eyes. Just wait for it. Humble yourself under the hand of God because actually, ultimately, he wants to lift your life into a great place. God wants to lift you, but without humility, it'd go straight to your head and destroy you. Choose the path of humility. Be honest enough to make small character changes so that large character adjustments aren't required. And in this sense, maybe when we're just talking about authentic spirituality, maybe the saying that you have all heard is true. Maybe actually less is, is really more. My encouragement is, honestly, find a happy place with this. Live righteous. Live wise. But never forget you're human and flawed in ways you haven't even perceived yet. And this is God-honouring humility. God, I thank you for any wisdom you can give me and I pray that I would humbly receive it and walk in it. God, I thank you for what Jesus has done for me. I can't make that any better. You've done it all. And I receive that and I've just got to walk in the knowledge that I am a man of dust. You are a woman of dust. And so we have to hold this treasure very, very carefully. Not let it go to our head. Not let us become overly righteous, overly religious, overly spiritual. Not become overly wise and think that we've got it all, we know it all and therefore we can't, can't be taught anything. But let's hold it with humility. These are great principles. There's nothing wrong with the principles. It's what we do with them that becomes the problem. What we do in the limitation of our human understanding, in the limitation of our human ability and wisdom it's what we do with great things that becomes the problem sometimes so I'm urging us all hey if you want to be humble if you want to be sorry righteous wise and humble too you'll do well if you can hold that balance you'll do well in life wherever you are whatever you're called to whatever your life's meant to be Righteous, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Wise, God, my ear is open to heaven continuously. But no matter what you say or no matter what you do in my life, I'm always, always going to come back to the fact that I'm a man of dust that walks humbly (laughs) before my God and holds these heavenly treasures very, very gently. They're not mine. We're custodians of grace. Awesome. Can I pray for us tonight? Why don't we all stand? If that's okay, if I could ask you all to stand with me. Ask you all to stand. <clears throat> and uh, Father, I just pray for all of us. Come on, if, if, you, if you just recognize, man, I, I just need to humble myself and let God work. Just lift a hand to heaven. Just in any area, just God, I need to humble myself and let you work. Uh, stop trying to make this happen. Stop trying to figure it out even. just I just need to trust you with some of my future, with some of what people think of me, with some of my decision making. I've just got to release it to you and trust you with it. Walk in humility.
before you. Father, I just thank you for every heart, every hand, every, every life that's responding right now to your word. Pray you'd meet us right where we're at. Holy Spirit, that you would lift us. And as, we, as people humble themselves and really give you right of way, Father, I thank you for doors of opportunity opening. I thank you, Father, for wisdom being invested. I thank you, Father, that life flows through our humility. In Jesus' name, tonight. In Jesus' name. Just while we're standing here with our our eyes closed in the presence of God. uh, You know, maybe you're here and you've never experienced what Jesus could bring to your life. And and he wants to bring that righteousness that that you don't earn. The sense of there there can be a place where you can stand before God and, and, and receive from heaven. And it's got nothing to do with who you've been. That's what righteousness is. Jesus comes and gives you a place at the table with God. And and you didn't have to earn it. You you could never be good enough for it. None of us could. We just have to receive it. And uh, and I I just want to give you the opportunity to receive that gift tonight. You can just reach out to Jesus just in your own heart, just right where you're standing, right there, right now. I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but just in your own heart, you can open your heart to God. And uh, just while every head's bowed, every eye is closed, you know, just, just do that business with God in your own heart of hearts. And in a few moments' time, we're going to pray a very simple prayer. It's up on the screen. Uh, it's a prayer of, of faith and reaching out to God. It's a very simple prayer that we pray every service. Uh, but, but maybe you've never reached out to God. You've never opened your heart to God. I want to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. So, you know, as you've been thinking about your own journey of life, if you believe that's what you need, there's a place in your heart for Jesus tonight. There's a place in your heart for God to do a work. And that's what you want. Would you you just indicate to me, no one else but to me, just lift up a hand and say, Chris, that's me. I, I really want to know Jesus tonight. I want to invite him in. That's awesome. You can put your hands down again. That's awesome. You guys there on the end of the row. Others. Others here just real quick. Come on. Anyone else? Just join them really quickly. I don't want to race on from this moment. I don't want to labour it, but I don't want to race on. And if you're here, awesome. I see you there, mate, up the back. That is fantastic. That's a great decision. That's a great decision. Okay, let's, let's pray this prayer together. And, uh, and, you know, if you responded, if you responded with your hand and, and indicated to me, even if you didn't get to that point, but you're like, man, I know I need Jesus. Why don't you just use this prayer? They're just simple words, but they sort of say, they can articulate what, what is in your heart, that you want Jesus to do something in your life. So we're all going to pray them together and I invite you to make them your own. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Why don't we just celebrate people that have just opened their hearts to Jesus? That is the best decision. The best decision, honestly. And, uh, and Ashley's going to come and encourage you how you can sort of follow up on that and walk with Jesus.